Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 121 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Roll, and it's been far too long, and joining me on the podcast this week is the great Eric Cole. What's up, man? Hey, man. Congrats on coming back from Vegas. It seems like that the Braves decided to wait to win before, you know, while you were gone, but other than that, you know, I'm glad to have you back, buddy. Yeah, I made it. Uh, people were, were starting to get really mad. I think I think everybody actually remembered that we were going to podcast last week. I did announce it a few different times, but uh, we, we, we were we were recording this now on Monday evening, and on Sunday I got a lot of tweets about where the podcast was. Let me just explain myself. Uh, I I landed back from Vegas on a red eye flight Sunday morning, and then I had to move without sleeping um, because it's just the way the day fell, and I had one day to move, and it was yesterday. So I, there was no chance I was going to be able to function after moving straight after a red-eye flight. So my apologies to everybody for being a day late. But it's the All-Star break. We didn't miss anything um, other than the Home Run Derby is happening right now as, as you and I talk. So hopefully Freddie's doing well. We're not, um, you know, as of, as of this moment, uh, I, I don't really know how Freddie's going to do. So we'll, we'll, I guess, update at that at the end if we know what happens. But that, that explains the one-day delay after the one-week delay. So, you know, it's been two weeks and a day. And uh, we, have a lot, we have a lot to talk about, Eric. Uh, a lot of things happened while I was gone, including, as you mentioned, the Braves not playing very well. They were four and eight since the last podcast, and they were a they were two and seven while I was in Vegas. So if you want to blame someone, I guess it's me. Um, but on the bright you side, guys, you guys, you guys know what to do. Yeah, <laughs> all, it's, all, the, uh, it's all Brad's fault. It was all my fault. Uh, on the bright side, they're still only a half game uh, back of Philly, and they're five games ahead of the Nats. So the, I guess five, the Nats are five and a half games back of Philly. So. Um, it could have been worse. I mean, they didn't play well that whole. It was kind of a brutal stretch to watch. The offense kind of died, but at the end of it, you know, at the, at the All Star break, they're right in the middle of things. Even though uh, the last couple of weeks didn't go very well. Yeah, I mean, it was a little bit frustrating just because, like, it seemed like whenever the offense did have a decent game, you know, uh, we'd have a starter to give up like a big inning, and you know, guys who had normally been performing well kind of had a rough stretch on, you know, whether it be in the bullpen or in, in the rotation or in the lineup for that matter. It's just been, it was kind of a frustrating stretch, but there's still a lot to like, like, and a lot to be happy about. So it's just, th- these stretches are just going to happen. I mean, the, the season's 162 games long. You, you kind of wish that, you know, you didn't end the, you know, the first half or whatever on this note. But I mean, if you, if you told me in April that this is where the Braves are going to be and this is how many wins they're going to have, I would be like, that's fine. <laughs> I am more than happy with that outcome. So it's, you know, it's, it's a little frustrating. You you always want more, but at the same time, it's like I'm not I'm not hanging too much on this short stretch of just not going very well. Yeah, I mean, even after all of this kind of madness took place, you know, 538 is just one number, but 538 still projects the Braves to win 87 games. Most of the systems are sort of in that range now. So they definitely cooled a little bit after they were sort of in the 90 range um, a couple of weeks ago, but still, I mean. 
you know, being 50, 52 and 42 at the All-Star break would have been uh, much, much better than any, I think anyone would have rationally predicted at the beginning of this. And uh, look, I mean, that was, a, that was also a pretty difficult part of the schedule when you factor in, you know, Cardinals, Yankees, um, at Brewers, you know, Toronto only two games in Arizona. That's a pretty tough, difficult stretch. And you know, The whole month is brutal. Yeah, you I know, mean, the- but even then, just the ending, like after the Baltimore-Cincinnati series uh, in late June, the last, I'm looking at it now, they went 7-8 and eight against the Cardinals, Yankees, Brewers, Blue Jays, and Diamondbacks. That's actually not bad. <laughs> as much as it was frustrating, like the record over that those last few series was not as bad as you might have actually thought it was. Like even looking at it now, I, I'm actually a little bit more optimistic than I was because it felt worse than that. But 7-8 and eight over that, against that kind of quality competition is pretty, pretty solid, honestly. Yeah, I mean, you, look... I, I talked about I've talked about the month of July for a lot. If they can get out of the month of July going like 500 or right around that, like that's a win because there's a lot of really good teams on the schedule, and from there the the, the schedule lightens up a lot, and hopefully by then there's like maybe maybe by the end of the month you know we have a new addition or two onto the team, uh, some you know, just some fresh legs and fresh arms or whatever, you know it's I'm not I'm not super concerned if for no other reason that one my expectations weren't particularly high. I thought they were going to be like a 500 team this year, not not doing what they're doing this year. And secondly, like that they're they're not losing like they're not getting shelled eight nothing. You know what I mean? Like it's just like one bad inning or one bad pitch here and there, and just like all the things that were going the Braves' way, where like they'd have like these improbable comebacks or like you know these like random like heaters from Ryan Flaherty and things like that that were just like kind of randomly winning the Braves' games. Uh, they're just not going the Braves the Braves' way right now, and like that stuff sort of evens itself out, and you know some more unlikely things will happen in the Braves' favor and, you know, the guys will get going again. So I'm just not, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm fine with where they are. Uh, I wish they had performed better, but at the same time, like, you know, this is a team that needs, that definitely needs a break, you know, getting some guys some rest. And when they come back, I mean, you can kind of see on the field that they're performing, that, that this is a different team and it's a very talented team. So I'm just not super concerned about, you know, the, this recent stretch, I guess. Yeah, not at all. I mean, it's one of those things where it was it was more maddening to watch than anything else. But I do feel like um, there's one one thing in particular when it comes to this most recent stretch that got very very loud while I was gone. I will say I was the guy on media row in Las Vegas watching Braves games, so I was at least paying some sort of attention while I was gone. But uh, the calls for Ender Enciarte to not hit leadoff have reached a fever pitch, and this is something that you and I have talked about a ton in the past, and I think everyone's kind of on board with this at this point, but uh, the numbers are really ugly, and then finally on Sunday, he uh, just was not in the lineup. Um, I'm not sure what the um, justification will be coming out of the break or what, whether he'll be hitting leadoff, but there was the one, there was the one uh, game where he was benched in the middle of the game for not hustling. Uh, it was kind of a yep. rough time to be inter- Ender Enciarte over the last couple of weeks. We can talk about numbers, but what is your uh, reaction to all of the uh, what, what? What actually? I guess it was whispering, and now it's like full fledged yelling when it comes to this because the uh, things the tide has turned against Ender pretty swiftly here. It feels like. I will say the following: one, when we started complaining about Ender and Ciarte being not being a leadoff hitter, we got a lot of upset to borderline hatred, like hateful type tweets about how like this is the kind of guy that you need at the leadoff spot what are you talking about you guys are idiots etc etc and now all of a sudden those guys are no longer tweeting at me anymore and instead we're kind of more talking about what Enciarte is actually is he is a fantastic center fielder defensively he does do things well when he's on base he's a good base runner he's not a leadoff hitter I want him on this team. He does good things for this team in some respects, but there's that he is an offensively limited player that doesn't draw walks and is not the kind of guy 
that you want in your leadoff in the leadoff position based on how what we know now about how to construct a lineup. There's not there's not anything wrong with Ender Enciarte as a person. I don't hate him. It doesn't make me I hate the Braves. It just means that look, he's probably a guy that need you need to bet seventh, eighth, or ninth. Uh, depending on where you think pitchers should hit and all that stuff, and that's a different that's a different rabbit hole altogether. There are going to be times where, especially against righties, he's going to put up put up good games, and he's going to have good games here and there. But that doesn't mean we did, we rocket him back up to the leadoff spot as soon as he goes three for four. It means that he does hey he can provide value at the plate, and more importantly, he provides a lot of real defensive value. And if you play him like that, he is a very valuable baseball player on a team. He's just not a leadoff hitter, and. For all the folks that were complaining about, you know, everyone's hating on Ender for their small sample size and all that stuff, this isn't a small sample size. He's been a below-average league hitter for a while, and that's just the truth of it. Yeah, I mean, obviously none of this is new to this podcast, to be to be sure. Um, just to update things on where he is for this year, obviously this year I think is a little bit worse than he actually is. Uh, his heat map is kind of hilarious. There's just a lot of rollover ground balls to second and sh- to second and first base. Yeah, he's um, rolling over a lot of them. It's pretty ugly. I think he's he, he's definitely been the worst stretch of his Braves career. Uh, he has a 79 WRC plus this season and 405 plate appearances, which is uh, obviously pretty bad. A 337 slugging is really ugly. You know, his, his OBP has actually bounced back a little bit recently, but still at 312 for the year, which is obviously going to kill you in a leadoff spot. I, I do think he's a better hitter than this. Um, what we've seen Agreed. this year, but at, at the same time, I, I was kind of, uh, I've always famously been kind of higher on NCR than everybody else. And now I've sort of become, um, <laughs> it's interesting. I feel like I'm um, justifying him to other people because of his defense. And I think it's not his fault in a lot of ways. You know, I, I still like Ender as a player. His, his, um, his defensive base running are very valuable. And if he wasn't hitting leadoff, I tweeted this a couple of weeks ago, maybe, maybe, maybe I guess probably maybe a week ago now, but if he wasn't hitting leadoff, I wouldn't. I'd probably be the guy that was like telling people that not to kill Enriciarte because he can still provide value. Like even right now, he's at one point one Fangraphs WAR for the season. He's on pace for almost two wins, and that's not great. But for a guy who is not hitting at all, like he's still bringing some some modicum of value out on a reasonable contract. But at the same time, last year in his career best season by far at the plate. I know he had two hundred hits, but. He had a 100 WRC plus. He was a he was a league average offensive player last year, in his best season of his career. And even if you assume, like I think people were all you know, even Brian Snicker has said, you know, when he, when he gets comfortable and all this stuff like that, if, even if you assume that Enriciarte was that player, that guy still shouldn't hit leadoff. You you shouldn't want a league average yep. hitter hitting leadoff in a playoff bound lineup. And it's not, that's not a shot at him. Obviously, it would be more reasonable. And I, I, I'm quick to, uh, I guess, admit that if he was doing what he did last year, the calls for him not to hit leadoff would be a lot quieter. It would be very, very scattered, and it would not. We probably would we would not be talking about this right now. At the same time, I'm not sure that's what he actually is. I think that that's probably the high end. I think he probably is closer to what he was two years ago when he was a 97 WRC plus guy. His batting average was higher. His BABIP was higher. I think he's more of that guy, like a slightly below average hitter. And that is just fine with his defense and his, uh, and his and his speed, but that guy shouldn't be hitting leadoff. It's not that difficult to yep. just being the, being in the bottom third of a major league lineup. You can still be productive, and it's not a knock on a guy. You know what I mean? And I feel like some of this is just kind of like you know, Ender is respected in the clubhouse type stuff, and like you know you sure. don't want to like and like it's just it's frustrating when you're just like, 
we're not going to, the thing is, we're not killing him as a player. Like, that's, that's right. the thing. Saying he shouldn't hit leadoff is not an indictment of him as a player. It's the same thing as Dansby Swanson, by the way, who's, who's getting a little bit less heat because of the fact that Ender's been so bad. Dansby's had a rough year at the plate. But because, and by the way, they're suddenly very similar players. Dansby's defense is now carrying him in the way the Ender's defense has always carried him. Those guys are like, you know, sort of on a very similar baseline in terms of overall production this year. And, but the difference is Dansby's not hitting leadoff every day. If Dansby, if Dansby was hitting leadoff this entire time, you would have heard even more about him. And I think you've, you're starting to hear about his bat a little bit. People are worried about it. And I, I think that's justified. Honestly, he's been pretty bad as a major league player at the plate. But with the thing with Ender, if Ender, if Ender was hitting eighth, People would notice that he's been bad at the play this year, but the, the calls for him to be, you know, benched, all this stuff would be definitely a lot softer. So, I don't know, you know, long story short, I, I know people come down on different sides of the lineup construction debate. My my simplest way to say this is that do you want one of your worst hitters going to the plate more than anybody else on your roster? Do you really want Ender and Ciarte hitting more often than Freddie Freeman? Like, it's it's pretty similar. Yep. It's pretty easy for me. I'm not saying hit Freddie leadoff. But I'm saying, like, do you want him, do you want him hitting more often than Ronald Acuna or Ozzy Albies or Nick Marcakis? Name your guy. Right now, Enderin Ciarte is leading the team in play appearances when he's hitting leadoff, and that can't be the case. Like, since he started going back to the leadoff spot, it's only 20 games. This is very, very small sample size theater, but he has a 266 slugging percentage. Like overall this year, it's been pretty bad. And undeni- my, my thing is undeniable. We could sort of transition here a little bit. Undeniably, he should not be hitting leadoff against left-handed pitching. He has a career 642 OPS against left-handed pitching. That's not bouncing back. Like I think he's going to hit better against righties eventually, but even even when he was good, he cannot hit left-handed pitching. That's just that's just documented at this point in time. So maybe Snicker, maybe the compromise is we hit him. Uh, you know, the Braves hit him, decide him hit, hit, have him in the top spot against um, right-handed pitching and hitting eighth or ninth against lefties. That makes more sense. I, I would still not necessarily agree with that construction, but if you just feel like he has to hit leadoff against righties, then you know that's a that's a compromise. Not one that I would endorse, but it certainly would be better than this. And I think maybe that Sunday's construction with um, him, him out of the leadoff spot against left-handed pitcher. Of course, he wasn't playing either, so I'm not really sure where he would be. But against lefties, man, you just can't you just can't do it. There's there's no justification for that. Co same can't can't couldn't agree more. We we can keep going on this, but okay, one, one more thing on Ender. Do you think he is bad enough right now where he shouldn't start against left-handed pitching? Because that a lot. I, I, as I was uh, moving yesterday, I got a lot of people sort of weighing in, especially with his bridge and talking about Mike Mustakis and all that trade stuff. Because I think um, I saw a lot of people who I think are smart talking about the fact that if, if the Braves had a legitimate um, another one one other player to play somewhere, whether it be third base or in a corner outfield spot. That they could probably even justify benching Ender against left-handed pitching almost full-time, making making him a platoon player. I'm not quite all the way there yet, but I do think if they had another option that wasn't Ryan Flaherty or Danny Santana or Preston Tucker, I might actually co-sign that because Acuna is Acuna okay. can play okay. center field. So here's my so here, so here's my question. Okay, how do you feel about a lineup that has Camargo at third, Culberson in left, Acuna in center? Um, here's the thing against lefties. I don't. I think that probably is better right now, only because. But my, my thing, my thing has always been: I don't trust Charlie Culberson's bat. We have so much reason to think that he's not this good. And by the way, he's been great this year. Um, I wouldn't be upset if they did that. Um, I do. I, I wish it was someone better than Charlie Culberson. Sure. But in the absence of that of that option, I do think that lineup is probably better than what the Braves put on the field. Because again, even when Ender was better than this. 
he's always been bad against left-handed pitching. Like, again, 642 career OPS against lefties, and that's a pretty big sample size at this point. This year, it, his, his OPS against left-handed pitching is 536. It's only, 100, it's only 108 plate appearances, but, like, that is, like, not pitcher very, bad. Not, you know what yeah, I mean? That's, yeah, it's not very – I mean, I don't know. I – I mean, I, I understand that the, 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 I understand there's a bit of a disconnect for people because while he's been so bad against lefties, the entire team as a whole is really good against them. Sure. <laughs> so it's kind of it's kind of like the, it almost doesn't you don't feel it as much as you would on some teams because like when Ender's just not hitting, I mean, Ozzy and Camargo and I mean Freddie's a really good hitter against lefties. So is Marcakis. I mean, like it's kind of one of those things where I understand why some people I don't think are fully grasping just how bad he is because in games it's against bad. lefties. Uh, games against lefties, the Braves perform well, but it's it's pretty it's pretty poor. Uh, at this point, I mean, I would I certainly wouldn't pl- I wouldn't play him at all against a good lefty or better. Yeah, you know I mean, if it's not a good if, if it's not a good like if it's like a fifth, like a fifth starter lefty, uh, I, I don't I have my feelings about it become much less strong. But I mean, uh, at, against- my thing is at, at a bare bare minimum, if he's hitting if he's hitting in the lineup against left-handed pitching, he has to be hitting eighth or ninth. Agreed. He just cannot be hitting leadoff against left-handed pitching. This is not this. That, I mean, I will say, if you want to have the ray of light last year, um, last year against lefties in his career best season, he had a 7-12 OPS against left-handed pitching. That is playable, obviously, but that is also not a left. That's not a leadoff hitter. So that's that, that's his career best season by a lot by a wide margin against left-handed pitching. It was 7-12 OPS. Um, had a 3.47 on base percentage. Like that guy is definitely just fine to be in your lineup when he also plays defense like Ender, like, like Ender does. But I mean, <laughs> he's not your left. He's he's not solid leadoff hitter. He's not doing that right that, now. That, I mean, that, that is the only pay, point we're trying to make is that he's not a left. He's not a leadoff hitter, and he probably should be really low in the lineup against lefties. Yeah, I mean, I, is, I, that, I do think is, I would I would be <laughs> further on board with the making making a, a, a platoon player if they had another option. Charlie Culberson isn't quite on the level of a player where I'm going to be actively advocating to not play Ender, but I do say he's got to hit 8th or ninth. Like that, it, that, That's the bare minimum for me. So, I mean, I don't want to go too deep down this route. Well, we probably already are too deep on it. I just think, I do think at some point uh, the I, light's going to come on. I mean, I think Brian Snicker, it's it's become kind of comical with how many times he has to say something about, you know, something about when Ender gets comfortable or when Ender, when the light comes on, or wh- whichever phrase he wants to use about just thinking that he's going to suddenly be a good player again offensively. I think that's a little bit overblown. I think his patience has been a little bit too long with Ender Inciarte. But, you know, at the same time, you have an investment in him. It's a long-term investment. Um, his defense is valuable. And even with all of this stuff we're saying about how bad he's been offensively, he has been a basically a two-win player, at least on pace for it so far this season. So play him every day, and I won't be bothered by that as long as he's hitting eighth or ninth. That's just kind of where I am on it. I feel you. Uh, really quick update: Freddie Freeman did succumb to Bryce Harper in the first round, thirteen to twelve. Very respectable showing. Yeah, I mean, uh, Freddie was kind of funny in interviews today um, and talking about how he like never hits home runs in batting practice and always tries to hit the ball over shortstop. And I think we probably saw a little bit. Of that. <laughs> but um, you know, I'm actually kind of glad there wasn't like an extended run from Freddie in the home run derby because I'm not necessarily that guy who really worries about swing stuff when it comes to the home run derby, but if he doesn't have that many swings, there's no reason to have that narrative. So there you go. Yeah, exactly. I want to avoid that altogether. So and, lot, and, and, and 12 home runs is a very respectable showing. Yeah, Nothing, that's fine. Uh, I mean, he, he, the light came on um, there for Freddie and he was, uh, he was competitive. 
that's all you can ask. And now he just needs to go out and not get hurt on Sunday and knock on exactly, board. exactly. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of the, that's kind of your all star minute here on the Talking Shop podcast. Uh, congrats to Nick Markakis, by the way, who is official. Uh, we've not talked about this in two weeks. He made it for the first time. He he had the honor of being basically the best player in the history of baseball, but never got an an all star nod or an MVP vote. So uh, shouts to Markakis for finally breaking that trend. And yep. uh, Ozzy and Fulty are also on the team. Um, no surprises there, given how good they were in the first half. Uh, Sean Newcomb, right before we move on, Sean Newcomb's kind of falling off a little bit. Are you worried about Sean Newcomb? He didn't make the All-Star team, which did not bother me. He was always like the swing guy for me. He was the one guy who could make it and could not make it. And then, of course, his late performance kind of pushed him off, I think. But um, there was I was, actually, I was actually listening to a fantasy baseball podcast on the plane yesterday, and they were talking about how worried they are about Sean Newcomb. That's in a fantasy sense, which is a little bit different than real life, but he's not been as good recently. Are you worried about Sean Newcomb at all? No, I mean, his fastball command is getting away from him. I think that the kind of the heat of the summer and, like, dealing with sweat and blisters and kind of dealing with, like, that, he's just having a lot of trouble locating his fastball. And when he can't do that, I mean, I, I still think that the secondaries have looked pretty good. Like, the changeups still looks good. But if you can't, if they're just saying, if, if they think it's fastball, then they don't have to swing at it. That, that, that makes setting up your secondaries really, really tough. And then he, he, but, and he keeps shucking that fastball anyway, too, which is part of the problem. You know, he's walking a lot of guys. Uh, it, it's more of a fastball command issue than anything else, and I, I think that's something he can iron out. It's not, and the, his last start made me feel a little bit better simply because, you know, he, he, the first thing was really bad. He was walking guys all over the place, and he just felt like it was going to be a long, you know, it was going to be another kind of a couple long innings, and then he was gone, and the bullpen was got the, you know, pitch seven innings. But he kind of, he kind of rallied to kind of get five innings out of that start and was pitching a lot better. So I'm, I don't know if I'd call it worried. Just more if I don't necessarily think that he's quite where he needs to be to maintain the pace he was on, which is like all-star level pitcher. Um, you know, he's, he's still has some things to work on to get some consistency out of his pitches over a long season. Again, I'm, I can understand it from a fantasy standpoint because if you're, you know, since he's not commanding his fastball, he's not striking out nearly as many guys. And, you know, when you're trying to, you know, fill up categories in a fantasy lineup, that's a little bit frustrating when you have a guy like that that you were getting, you know, a bunch of strikeouts from, and now you're no longer getting them. It's a little right. bit frustrating. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously different than what we care about on this podcast, but uh, I do think it's always somewhat instructive, and he's just not been quite the same pitcher. The walks are always a problem with Sean Newcomb, but he's got a command. As you mentioned, I think it's uh, it's fixable. I'm not I'm not necessarily worried, but the last you know handful of starts have been less than ideal. So I think it was justified to make the All Star team, all that fun stuff. I don't want to talk about snubs right now on the podcast, but um, hopefully he'll be as good, uh, I guess, on the whole as he was in the first half because uh, that's a pretty good pitch. Agreed. Um, all right. One, uh, I guess we'll talk about this now. Um, the Mike Moustakis stuff is starting to heat up again. Uh, it was sort of flailing around the offseason. He was available-ish and then ended up staying in Kansas City. And then there's been some trade stuff. And I guess the most recent reporting, uh, Jerry Krasnick noted on Sunday that the Braves and Red Sox are sort of like the leaders or so, at least, or at least have a reported interest in Moustakis. I tweeted about this today. Um, I think the discussion's always been, at least on Braves Twitter, most of it, between, you know, who is better between Mike Moustakis and Johan Camargo. And I think it's reasonable to fall on either side of that, frankly, based on history and all that fun stuff. It's kind of whatever you value. Um, my point on Twitter today, and it's one that I'm going to make to you now, is that even if you believe Camargo is a better player than Mike Moustakis, uh, the Braves bench is really, really bad right now. Like, And two guys, two guys in particular, Ryan Flaherty and Danny Santana, are very, very bad right now at the plate. And even if you don't believe in Moustakis as a better option than Camargo, there's every reason to believe that you would want to acquire him. Um, if it's a cheap price, I should say, it's always, um, you know, every trade is about price. But he would make the team better 
um, in a lot of ways because then that that would, un- that would sort of unlock Camargo to play everywhere if you wanted to. You wouldn't you don't, you don't have to play Misakis every day. There's ways to be creative and have that improve your team because. Um, for me, it's much more about the gap between whoever they acquire, whether it be Mustakas or Eduardo Escobar, or whoever, wh- whichever guy you want to talk about. The gap between those guys and the Dan Santana, Ryan Flaherty types is the one that I'm really worried about. Yeah, I mean, I I think that Mike Mustakas right now can be had for a very reasonable price. He's had he's had a pretty poor last month and a half or so. Um, not not an expensive deal. I think it was like a one year, six point five million dollar deal with like a mutual option for fifteen million next year, or something like that. Which there's there's no chance that the Royals pick that up. Um, I think there's more likely that they try to move him for something. And my understanding is that the packages that are being entertained to move him aren't going to be a lot, which means that you could get a guy who is very good hitting right-handers that you can platoon with with Camargo because he's good against left. He's good against lefties. You play Camargo all the time against lefties at third. You know, maybe just not, maybe sit Mark Mustakis. Ignore the fact that Mustakis is the name, because there's implied that you know, like you're gonna have to give up so much prospect capital because it's Mike Mustakis, and that's just not the case with him. It's not like a Manny Machado thing where you're renting him for two months and you have to give up you know really real prospects for him. If you can get him for a cheap price and you can get a guy that helps you helps you against helps you against righties at, at third base and that allows you to, for example, if it's a really tough. It's a really tough righty, and you don't think Dan like a really tough righty with a really good slider, for example. You maybe you give Dansby off that, that off that day, and you put Camargo in there. Maybe it's not an ideal situation, but he might be a better hitter in that particular situation since he's a switch hitter. And then you can kind of move Camargo around. Maybe Ozzy needs a day off. Maybe you can move guys around where you can get you know Culberson in left, and you can do various types of permutations. Now the question is whether or not then Brian Snitker would actually do that if Mike, if, if Mike Moustakis was a part of the team. That's kind of a different question altogether, but I, overall I agree with you that, especially given what I think the price would be for Moustakis, which is I don't think would be a substantial one, is that if you add him to this roster, he makes the roster better. Overall. Now, it may not be the most desirable outcome for some because they really think that Camargo deserves to be playing every day at third base. I'm not necessarily sold on that, but at the same time, I really like him as kind of a super utility type where if you have him on the bench, it's a real bench bet that you can bring up or you can give guys at multiple positions days off because right now he's the everyday third baseman, and that means if someone else needs a day off, then we're, let, we're running out Danny Santana and Ryan Flaherty, and that becomes a bit of a problem because those guys are not good. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I just think it's a situation where you just need to, I, you know, some of the reaction today, let me just say it this way. Some of the reaction today when I was talking about this centered on the fact that they didn't, that people don't trust Brian Snicker to deploy the lineup correctly and have flexibility. I would share that view. I don't necessarily trust that either. But at the same time, I do think that at some point that has to, you know, you can't just assume the worst. I mean, if that happens and Snicker doesn't deploy it correctly, then blame Snicker for not deploying it correctly. But if you can get Mike Moustakis or a similar player, but in this case, he's the one that's been linked to the Braves. If you can get him for a reasonable price right now on a team that's trying to win um, at a position where I, I know Camargo has been, pre- been pretty good, but Camargo has a ton of value elsewhere as well. The fact that he's been, the fact that he's, he's as versatile as he is, he could probably play some corner outfield if you wanted him to, all that fun stuff. Like he could play everywhere. And there's some value in having a guy who mashes right-handed pitching. It's just what it is. Like, bring a guy in that, even if you want, by the way, even if you want to keep, if Camargo keeps being great and, 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 like, plays his way into an everyday spot, you now have a legitimate bench bat that you didn't have before. They don't really have a pinch hitter on this roster right now. They have, they have the backup catcher is the best pinch hitter every day, and Snicker doesn't want to use that guy unless he has to. 
So yeah, I mean, like Preston Tucker's up now, which I mean, but right he's now not, he's not hitting. Yeah, he's, like, he's not, he hasn't been great. I, no, I mean, I, I think he's a better hitter than Santana and Flaherty, but yes. at the same time, Mike Mustakas is a lot better than Preston Tucker. Like he's a lot safer than Preston Tucker at the plate. So like in a worst case scenario, if you just believe in Johan Camargo, which people do, I think he's become a fan favorite, and that's fine. Like I think he's a pretty good baseball player. I think I'm prepared to be very wrong on Camargo because it's a reasonable sample now of him being a pretty good hitter. And that sample didn't exist before he before he arrived in the majors, but some guys just break out of it, and it looks like he's been able to do that. With, this, with that said, he's not good enough to not evaluate other options. And again, if he continues to play this way and you want to play him every day, that's fine. And you have Mike Moustakas as a bench bat because if you want to be a playoff team, you need a pinch hitter. You need more yeah. than one, by the way. Having Danny Santana and Ryan Flaherty on your roster, both, is not a playoff team kind of construction. Like I have some numbers here that are going to make people shake their heads. It's not worth dwelling. I don't want to be mean to these guys necessarily, but Ryan Flaherty, since April 9th, he, he, had a, he, had, he had that incredible run in the first eight games of the season. Since then, he has a 198, 268, 270 slash line. So that's a 538 OPS in 123 play appearances April 9th. So he's been a basically an unplayable player since April 9th. That's a long time now. That's more than three months. Danny Santana has been the worst hitter in baseball with at least 700 play appearances since the start of the 2015 season. That's three and a half years of data to tell you that he's been the worst hitter in baseball. Like, again, I'm not trying to be mean to these guys, but neither one of these guys are on a are, are, are playoff caliber baseball players right now. Yeah, I'm gonna not. shame. I'm gonna shamelessly steal this from Brad because he actually wrote this in the notes. That's a 50 WRC plus since 2015. That's three and a half Sam. years. Uh, granted, I mean, he only 50. has about a about about a season, season and a half of actual data because he's been a bench player that entire time. But still, like, that is unspeakably bad. Like, you can't have that guy on your roster. I understand Santana brings some value with his legs, I suppose, like as a pinch runner. If you just want to have that guy on your bench, I guess that's fine. I wouldn't carry that guy on my bench, but he at least can be a pinch runner and be effective in that way. Ryan Flaherty, man, like, it was fun when he was super hot the first eight, nine, ten games of the season. Since then, he's been what he's always been. That's a guy who can't hit. I mean, I'm sorry. It's just what it is at this point. So, you know, it's not, to, it's not to pick on those guys, but at some point, if there's somebody available, if it's, if it's not Moustakis, it's not Moustakis, but, you know, improving the bench at a very minimum should be a priority. I, I got a lot of responses talking about Moustakis today. You know, what about the pitching? What about the bullpen? I'm like, okay, I'm not saying that you don't address the pitching and bullpen. There, there are other ways to improve this baseball team. It doesn't have to be Mike Moustakis, but Mike Moustakis is the guy who's been, has been most reported right now as a Braves target. That doesn't mean that he's the only guy the Braves are targeting. I'm sure that Anthopoulos has irons in the fire with bullpen guys, maybe even starters. Uh, you know, Manny Machado has been reported. I think that's pretty unlikely. But yeah, I think it's more likely that there's like a guy like you know like Escobar from the Twins for a third sure. base spot. I mean, like or you know just like random bullpen guys or random starter guys that maybe aren't the high like the super highlight real names or whatever. But I mean, like there's a plenty of teams that are not in it right now and. I guarantee you that Anthopoulos is at least having conversations with all of them as they're trying to see who is actually available and what would it cost. And yeah. I, I think I, I just see moves being made. It just seems like whenever you say like Mustakis or like a, a name that the t- team could be interested in, everyone assumes that that is the only t- only move that they can make, <laughs> which is not true, obviously. Because with, with, the, with the Braves farm system, they could make seven trades that would be like headliners at a lot of tra- trade deadlines, like right now. They could do that, no problem. That's a good they, bridge they, because, you know, uh, 
Anthopoulos did an interview with Mark Bradley of the AJC this week, and he sort of addressed the fact that there's been some of that some of that buzz about the Braves having these budget concerns. He told Bradley that, I, and I, I'm quoting here from Anthopoulos, one or two guys right now would not be a problem at all. End quote. That's like one or two like significant salaries. He said there would have to be a meeting if they brought in three or four guys on MLB on like on, on significant contracts. But that doesn't really like, I mean that rarely happens when you're trading for three or four different guys at the deadline with, with big contracts. They yeah. could certainly do that. I mean, they, as you mentioned, they have the prospects to be able to do that. But that would be sort of an all-in scenario, which I don't think the Braves are going to do. I do and, think, and, though, and, and, and this trade and this trade market doesn't lend itself to doing that. Really, honestly, no. if we're just being honest about it. It does uh, unless it, there's like guys who are available that I'm not aware of. It just doesn't feel like there's like. You know, you could just load up your team. <laughs> yeah, I would set the. Uh, I would honestly set the the trade over under at one and a half. I think we're going to get one at some point. They're going to get. Yep. A, they're going to go out and get Mustakis, or, or they're going to go out and get a bullpen piece. I think one of those is going to happen. The question is whether they do more than that. I'd be pretty I would, stunned I would, if they didn't make a trade. Honestly, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'd take the over. I would, uh, but too, I wouldn't like. I so, I, I, yep. But like I, like two like two decent moves and like one minor move is kind of where my head is. But sure. again, it's not not something that I. I mean, like if the Nationals were had one name that would be really kind of weirdly interesting would be like Bryce Harper since he's going to be you know a free agent this, not this summer. Trade Bryce but, Harper. but 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 the Nationals aren't going to do it because one they they still are kind of sort of in it uh, in the National League East and two I mean they they probably think that they can get him back so. I don't know. It's it's kind of a mess right now uh, in terms of like what people's expectations are from this trade deadline uh, and like what the but they basically they want the team to be improved by five wins, but they don't want to give up anything for it, <laughs> and that's not really how it works. Yeah, I mean, no, trust me. It's it's been that's been a long running joke is that Braves fans don't want to trade any prospects for anything, and I think it's your fault, frankly. But no, I'm kidding. Uh, hey, no, no, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll own it. I love my prospects. You no, know, and just, that's fine. Just, Listen, just I mean, call up just call up Austin Riley. We don't have to worry <laughs> about. Well, Mike Moustakis as, as an option anymore. Just call him up. He'll be great. I mean, if, I, I want to say thankfully that kind of died when he got hurt um, because you remember in April, that was it. I mean, it was like, no, we could not possibly trade for a third baseman. We have Austin Riley. And it's like, wait, he's 20. He's still, he's still he's really good though, Brad. No, it's fine. I'm not saying you want to like you know, but like there were people that I think did like didn't want Manny Machado because of Austin Riley, and it's like, all right, well, cool. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I mean, that's all the specific trade stuff that we probably have to hit on, on this podcast. There's gonna be more, obviously. I think it's at least possible that a trade happens between now and next Sunday. That would not surprise me. I think we're gonna get one at some point in July. Um, we'll analyze that then. But I think third base is a situation where you don't have to get someone, but. I'd be pretty disappointed if the Braves don't come up with someone on the bench at a minimum. They have to do something <laughs> offensively. <laughs> I understand there's some good offensive players in this lineup, but you, I mean, man, I just cannot stop dwelling on the fact that they have both, they have both Santana and Flaherty. I, I, I am right now a big proponent of the idea of cutting Danny Santana because he's bad and just letting Michael Reed have a shot because I mean, they, signed him, be a, they, they signed him as a minor league free agent and all the guy does is hit. That's no, all I, he does. I, I, sincerely, I am very confident that they they could bring up guys in a system right now that would be better than Flaherty and Santana. Santana is even even more obvious. I understand there's there's some allegiance to Flaherty because he did provide some of that value early in the season. I I don't agree with that, but he is a better player than Danny Santana. I think even when you assume he doesn't hit, like in the past, like he's been a better I player. I think I think I think both of them. No, they're, they're <laughs> both. Not. They both should they both should not be there. Let me let me say that frankly. They they both should not be on this roster right now. But if you had to pick one, I think that's the easy one is to just take Santana off and replace him with Michael Reed or Dustin Peterson or whatever you want to do. Um, 
you know, whatever. But and and and, and for what it's worth, real Ruiz is hit, is hitting more now. They, I'm real not Ruiz saying, is better I'm, than Ryan Flaherty. I'm, I'm, I'm confident huh? in that. I, I, yeah, I mean that that's. I under I understand that I'm not you know, a believer his in time Ruiz. in the heat. <laughs> well, if you want to talk about guys who struggle against lefties, but well, yeah, but the whole, the whole thing is I'm not a believer in real real Ruiz, but there's at least a scenario in which he hits. And Ryan Flurry, that center doesn't really exist, in my opinion. Like, you might get a fluky BABIP 10-game stretch like we just saw at the beginning of the season. But, uh, yeah, just go young at those spots. I think they might do that, honestly. If, they, if they're unable to pull off a move, they might just go with Michael Reed or something like that. We'll see. But, yeah, uh, yeah I, I'm confident that something's going to happen on offensively. And, and something's happening pitching. I, I'm hoping we get a, a legitimate pitching rumor in the next couple of weeks because that way we can talk about it. Because um, right now it's all theoretical. It's like, yes, they do. They need another. They, they need another bullpen arm. I will say that another starting rotation arm would not bother me in the slightest. I'm not sure how much how much of a priority that is now. But with Soroka now pretty much being out until September at, at the very least, they could use they could use another arm there. I mean, Animal Sanchez has been a godsend. If not for Animal Sanchez, that might be some serious trouble. Yeah, I um, So, and I think you have to assume he's going to cool off because he's Animal Sanchez. Like maybe he won't, and maybe he'll be this this year's Ben Sheets or whichever you know pick your fifth starter Braves find they've made, that they've had in recent years that's actually worked out. But if he cools off like everyone would expect him to, they're going to need some help there, and I'm not sure that, what, where that's coming from right now. Yeah, I mean Freddie Freddie Garcia incarnate. He's he's that was another <laughs> one. I forgot. About, I actually forgot about Freddie Garcia. Uh, Aaron Harang too. Yeah, I mean, Harang was, was, was a great the Bra- one. He the Braves like have a- been really good about you know buying in the bargain bin and no, yeah, those of- those. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm I'm serious about that. I mean, maybe Sanchez is actually just going to do this. Like Harang did it for like 15 starts. It was just like yeah. incredible. I was like, what is going on right now? And I think Ben Sheets was on his way to do that before he got hurt. I mean, I remember, I remember watching that play live when he when he threw his arm out again. I was like, oh man, Ben Sheets. Um. Anyway. Yeah, that's probably enough on that. For life, now. life is life isn't fair, unfortunately. We should talk about Soroka. Since I, I just mentioned him. That was actually happening. The, I, we, got, we got the update after I recorded it last time. <laughs> it looks like it's gonna be September. Uh, the, the DL thing was kind of overblown a little bit, but he did an interview with Gabe Burns, who, by the way, shouts to Gabe Burns, who is the new AJC beat writer on the Atlanta Braves. I'm so time. happy for him. Gabe's great. Shouts like, to Gabe. He, he's great on Twitter. You don't have to, He's not going to like do the get 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 off my lawn tweets. He he really seems to be like enthusiastic about the team. He talks about the game in lots of interesting different ways. He's funny. I, I think he really wants to do well too. I'm I'm I am super excited. When I the, the rumors first started that uh, Dob and uh, Schultz were leaving for the Athletic, I, I sent gave a message right away, and I'm like, whoever I need to talk to to get you on the beat. Like, just let me know. And fortunately, that didn't come to that because, for one, I don't think the Braves would listen to me anyway. But that that they put him on, or the AJC for that matter, but that they put him on there, I, I think he's going to do great. I'm really happy for him. Yeah, no, I think Gabe's going to do well. Uh, he, he talked to Soroka, got a quote from a quarter two from him. Basically, they're talking about maybe September, and that's kind of what I thought all along once they placed on, on a 60-day DL. There was probably no chance he was going to come back in a full-blown role before September. Um, but we'll see. I don't want to like pile on there. I, hopefully that um, that comes, and uh, hopefully that works. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. Like you know, you give his arm a le- like his shoulder a, like a legitimate lengthy time off, and then you build him back up to start. Like treat it like spring training. You just need to like give him minor league minor league games to build him back up to get the innings that he needs, and then in September you hope that you're still in it because when he's when he's healthy and he's right, I mean, he's one of if not the best pitcher on the team right now. That's just the truth of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I was ready to argue. Maybe not best pitcher because Fulte's been incredible, but uh, yeah, Circa was high on the list when, when he was pitching in that very limited sample. And I, I still believe. I know you believe more than anyone. So 
Hopefully that'll come back. Uh, I, 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 I believe, I mean, Fulte, mean Fulte, what Fulte does, like the 10 strikeouts and five innings stuff that he does sometimes, like that's, that's kind of hard to top in terms of overall value. But in terms of like, you know, being super efficient, preserving a bullpen that is clearly not being preserved very well right now, like I, I, I'm very big on the idea that if, if Soroka is healthy, and that's, that, I mean, that's, that's a question right now, uh, that he's probably one of the most valuable pitchers on the team. Uh, but him being hurt, I mean, Colby Allard's pitching really well down in Gwinnett, and Luis Gohara's going to be back up at some point. I mean, you, you have, we have guys that can be ter- taken out of the rotation and for upgrades, but you, know, you don't want to necessarily get too many guys ahead of you in the rotation for sure. Yep, for sure. Um, one more thing, injury-wise, real quick, is that Arroyo Fiscaino is back on the DL. His shoulder has been like very weird. I guess the the latest incarnation was that him showing up to the ballpark, um, and it was he couldn't go, and it was after they could have really done anything about it. So they just went, they had to go an arm short on Sunday, and he's now on the DL. That's a strange one. It's been strange all season long. Remember that? Remember those couple games where he was just yeah. mystery, mysteriously uh, unavailable after like three day breaks, and they had to use the bullpen in strange ways and. I'm not necessarily like terrified, but it's not great when you're talking about a guy who's been your closer most of the year who's now unavailable again. See, I'm actually a little more – I'm concerned because he had the DL stint, then he came back, and then he appeared like twice, and now he's back on the DL again. I I am wondering how much he's going to pitch the rest of the year. And I truly – I mean I honestly am just concerned about it just because like this is the second DL stint in like two and a half weeks for him. You know, to, to, with, a, with the same shoulder issue, and he's had he's had injections, he's had all that stuff. You have to wonder how much he's going to be able to contribute, and that's just another bullpen arm that you can't really rely on right now. I mean, I'm glad that they added Evan Phillips to the the bullpen because I think that at the very least he's a fresh arm and he's like a different a different look. He hasn't been like super awesome or anything, but at the same time he has upside. Um, but you have to hope that they will continue to look for other options and try to upgrade there because like. They're just kind of they don't have a ton of guys that you're really super confident in right now. Yeah, it's not ideal. Uh, so hopefully Minter and Winkler hold up because they're going to need some help otherwise. Um, moving right, moving along to the uh, the prospect portion of the podcast, and this will be what we end with here. Uh, first and foremost, Carter Stewart is not in a member of the Atlanta Braves organization because he did not no. sign. Um, I frankly was very late to that. I think I, w- I only kind of realized that he hadn't signed, like at least fully realized that there was some danger with like two days to go. And I was like, oh, I probably should have talked about this at some point on the podcast. And then he didn't sign. So, uh, Eric, I know you fielded about this question about 100 times at this point in time. But what do we care about in this instance? How big of a deal is this? I know I know the logistics, but people, people probably don't all know what happens now with the Braves. So uh, this is obviously not a, the greatest thing in the world, but is it the worst thing in the world? Uh, it's definitely not the worst thing in the world, uh, but it does suck. Um, I, I will say that Matt uh, Matt Powers has been on top of this for like weeks now because – He's he's been kind of hearing things from various sources that it really wasn't a lock that he wasn't going to sign that there's kind of some weird things kind of going on in the periphery and I, I highly recommend uh, there's a piece on Talking Chop that Matt wrote uh, it's like the chronology of the Braves and Car- and Carter Stewart type stuff basically what happened was that you know obviously some sort of prearranged understanding between the Braves and the Carter and Carter Stewart as to what the number was going to be for signing him uh, then the physical came back and depending on who you talk to and there's a lot of varying variants here is that there was either a minor wrist issue or a not so minor wrist issue that popped up on the physical and the Braves basically went from willing to pay you know give him relatively close to slot uh for the for the eighth overall pick to only offering him 40 percent of the slot value which is basically meant that we're only offering you enough so that we are guaranteed to get a pick uh, an extra pick in the next draft uh 
last minute negotiations didn't happen didn't didn't really happen uh the up until like the last two or three days that they were pretty those last two or three days there wasn't really much contact it didn't seem much there was even much to talk about based on how far apart they were um now that sucks because carter stewart is a very talented player you'll find people that had him at near the top or at the top of of draft their draft boards in terms of like players that they thought were the most talented in the draft so that's a guy that you you want in your organization and i'm not gonna i don't want to downplay that you want him in your system that that you want him healthy and you want him in your system but if something legitimately spooked the braves then and there was like there's reason to believe that there's some sort of injury issue that could cause a problem down the line i understand why they did it uh it does suck now that says that also mean what it means now is that in the next in next year's draft they have the number nine overall pick in addition to wherever they end up picking this year, uh, which will probably be in the bottom third somewhere just of the first round because they're playing pretty well. Um, where that happens depends on playoff seating, playoff performance, and all that stuff, and we're not even close to thinking about that yet. Uh, so instead of having one of the lowest bonus pools, draft bonus pools in in the draft next year, which was what was going to happen after being kind of shorted a third round pick this year, which kind of hamstrung their ability to do to do what they wanted to do in this draft. Now they have a chance to have one of the biggest bonus pools in next year's draft, have two picks in the first round, and that can that allows them to get some bonus pool flexibility, which can maybe make them have a play at have a play at like, you know, two really good players. And that is in and of itself exciting. Are either of those players going to be as good as Carter Stewart? That is unlikely, I would say. But at the same time, Overall, it isn't the worst thing in the world. It's kind of—it's just more of a "it kind of stinks" type thing. That makes sense, and that's pretty much what I understood, you know, coming out of it and reading you guys and talking to Matt and all that fun stuff. But I do think, uh, you know, it's just weird. I think people just don't understand the process. And frankly, I wasn't 100% sure on the process until it was getting ready to be um, the deadline because it's not something that I pay attention, pay attention to. When you, when you draft a guy in the top 10, you just assume he's going to sign. And uh, that's, I think a lot of Braves fans just had no clue that it was even happening until the very end. So I want to at least get the explanation out there. And, I, you know, they get they get compensated for this. It's not like the end of the world. If, they, if it was a situation where they just lost this pick and it just disappeared. That, that either, would be odd. That, that would be Brad. That right, would be, really that would be very bad. But, you know, here we are. And, uh, you know, there's upside in the future potentially. And they get some value. And, you know, hopefully Carter Stewart has a good career. Uh, but not so good that the Braves get burned by it. I almost said that out loud. I feel bad about that. But, um, no. No, I, someone's going to clip that now. I root for Carter then, Stewart. You know, I root, I root, I'm rooting for him. You know, yeah, in, I mean, in, you, injuries you suck. To, and listen, you want he, him to do well. Yeah, I, I agree. The, the, the rumor right now is that he's going to go to junior college and he's going to go into the draft next year. Well, I mean, uh, the, th- the thing is, injury, injuries suck. And, like, I hope for the young man's sake that he didn't just give up a lot of money. You know what I mean? Like, there's a scenario, and that stuff happens in the draft, where, like, you turn down the money and you just don't get that money back. Um I, I mean, it's, it's it's happened to Braves draftees. There's got there's guys that are in the system right now that were offered first or second round money. They turned it down because they thought they could do better, and then they blew out their arm. So it, ha- it happened to multiple guys in the system, and that stinks. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean that's that's what you don't want to be sure. So hopefully everything works out for both parties. You know, hopefully he lands somewhere else and does well, and the Braves get get that pick back and they do well with it next year. Um. Okay, we can move on from there real quick. Uh, last thing on the pod, uh, it's been a big, it's a big, it's a big week for you. Not 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 just because of the All Star break and the fact that you are the man in charge at a MLB website, but uh, Talking Chop is uh, rolling out the midseason prospect list, and uh, you're the head of all that. So please, the floor is yours. Um, pu- plug it if you uh, if you so if you so choose to do so. Uh, Monday was the first adi- was the first installment that came out, so the whole list is not available yet. But you'll want to count down, and uh, here is the gist of it from Eric. So. The, the way this works is that we do a composite of myself, 
Garav Vidak, Garrett Spain, Matt Powers, and our, our newest addition to the minor league side, Aaron Houston, uh, Sparhawk, for those who like to comment, roam in the comments. He's, he was constantly on there, and I, I basically stole him from them uh, to do some work for us, and he's been doing really well. Uh, we all make our top 30 lists, or we, we went a little further in 30 just to resolve ties and things like that, but, uh, and then we make a top 30 composite from that. We kind of just double-check and make sure it looks reasonable. Uh, not the li- none of the composite was not the same as any of our lists, uh, that's just kind of the way it works. It was very close. Uh, a lot of tiers were re- readily apparent, but there was a lot of varied, varied rankings. Uh, and it's a lot of fun because it allows us to kind of see who we're all looking at and to kind of – our goal with the list is to always kind of have new names on it if we can, not just for the sake of it, but because we want to make sure we're having a fluid evaluation of who who the, the guys are good or not and you know making sure that we're taking – we're not – just falling into the trap of, well, this guy is just always on the top 30 list, so we're just going to keep him on there. Um, the bottom of the list was really interesting this year. We have a couple uh, 2018 draftees. We had Trey Riley and uh, C.J. Alexander are both uh, players that we had there. Uh, Dustin Peterson's down there at 28. He's been really kind of struggling this year, and he's gonna he's a kind of danger of falling off list if he doesn't kind of show some more value. Uh, but the this list is really interesting because we we had Ronald Acuna graduate from it. We obviously don't have Ozzy Alves on there anymore, no Dansby Swansons or anything like that. And by the end of the year, we're kind of anticipating losing a bunch more guys too. I mean, we don't think Luis Gohara is going to be there. Max Fried's going to be gone. Uh, it's, it's very possible, assuming that he can come back in time, Mike Sirocco will be off the list as well. And that kind of makes a lot of upheaval that we like because we like shaking things up in terms of who's on the list and who's not. Uh, we're rolling it out in six-player installments. It was uh, 25 through 30 today, uh, and it's going to be six, 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 all the way through, through uh, one through one through six on Friday. Uh, and then on Saturday, we're going to uh, Garrett's going to put out an honorable mentions list. Just kind of some names that w- had gotten some votes, but just didn't get quite enough to in the top 30. Uh, and I will say this: the top 10, there are a lot of very interesting names in some very interesting places, uh, uh, including the placement of one of your favorite pitching prospects, one Tuki Toussaint, uh, who has been doing some stuff that's, this year. That's my guy. He got, he got promoted by the way, in the last two weeks. With, since he I, did. Since, ever, since I did the last podcast. So I couldn't just get on the pod and scream. Yeah, in a span of a week, he was, he was in a span of a, basically a week. He was promoted to triple A and he made the futures game and looked, uh, like himself in the futures game. <laughs> yeah. Through th- a really good curveball, And it was probably one of the worst curveballs I've seen him throw this year. It tells you how good he's been this year. He's been really good. He's a maniac. Uh, I love Tuki. He's fantastic. And hopefully he'll be in Atlanta very, very soon. But yeah, I would recommend, uh, I do a lot of my catching up on these guys, um, through these prospect lists. Cause I, you know, as I've always said on the podcast, I'm not a prospect expert by any means. I read between the lines and, uh, I trust these guys to evaluate and that's uh, all headline by Eric. So thank you, sir, for putting that together. It's definitely a must read must, um, bookmark. I do a, uh, a bookmark job with those and basically just follow them away and, uh, reference <laughs> them whenever I need to. So, uh, you guys should probably do the same with that prospect list. Um, I mean that's probably it on the pod. We've done we've done we've done quite a bit. I mean I know we had a week off and uh, you know there's a lot of stuff going on, but we're at 50 minutes. That's probably enough on the pod. I mean, how, we could probably talk how, how many how many uh, how many trade proposals for Ozzy Albies have you gotten since, since you've returned? Uh, not as many as I normally do. Uh, it probably helps that he's like so outrageous that like trading him is just never happening at this point. <laughs> um, but I I do look forward to actually it's actually kind of funny how little I've heard of people wanting him to go back to shortstop. Because that's something that I'm actually waiting for, like that turn to come when people just give up on Dansby entirely and they're like, oh, by the way, you remember when Ozzy, remember when Ozzy, when Ozzy played shortstop? Um, that's going to happen at some point, I think. 
Because right now it's more Camargo. It's like, Camargo's better than Dansby. I'm like, well, no, probably not. But uh, maybe. But I, I just my, my whole thing with Ozzy was always that he was had, had more value at shortstop. So just wait. If uh, Dansby never hits again, it's gonna come full circle. It's gonna happen, and uh, he'll be he'll be at shortstop again. It'll be fun. No, I'm just kidding. Ozzy's been great, and um, 20 homers by the All Star break. By the way, what were the odds of that? I so when we were talking about projections, uh, when we had Dan Zimborski on the road to Atlanta, and we, I think you and I talked about it too. Like the projections for Ozzy were like something crazy, like you know, three WAR for the year, and we we're all like, how did that happen? And it was because he had he was projected for like 18 or 19 or home runs, and we we're like, oh, well, I guess if they project that, then then yeah, he'll get to three WAR. He's at over that at the halfway point of the year. He's gonna hit 30 home runs this year, like easily. I mean, like, yeah, I, probably. I, I, I can't. I can't. I can't foresee a world where he does. I mean, like it would require the power outage to end all power outages, and I just don't see that happening. Uh, like he's getting. Like he had a slump, and now he's kind of getting hot again. I mean, thirty home runs is happening from Ozzy Albies, and that's wild. Uh, and I'm super happy. I mean, he's a really, you know, really nice guy. Works, you know, is really fun to watch. Works really hard, and you know, he's one of the reasons why this team's doing so well. And that's that's awesome. I mean, happy. he's been outrageous. It's. Almost like I don't want to litigate it every time. Every time we talk about him, but like he's 21 and he is. Let's see, Fangraphs WAR right now 3.4 in 93 yep. in 93 games. Like he's on pace for like five and a half WAR, maybe six at second base. At second base. At 21. Yep. That's outrageous. I'm screaming that, in the that, microphone. That's hard to do. I mean, I, I don't think to he's do, gonna. Brad. I don't think he's gonna stay on this power pace. I still don't think that's gonna happen because like he's ISOing 235 right now, which is. But his BABIP's 297. And he's like, it's, it's it's not high. He's incredibly fast. His BABIP should not be 297. I don't know. It's just wild, man. Like he's very very good at baseball. And at, uh, here's one for you before we get off the podcast. I just, that just came to me. What is the percentage chance that he that Ronald Acuna is ever better than Ozzy Albies? If I asked you that a while I still, ago, I, I, everyone I, would everyone would have had Acuna bit, even bit, a year like, ago. Over, like we're we're talking about overall production. Overall, I like, still think. I think it's 50-50. And that is a I, lot I, different I, I, than it was a year ago. You would not agreed. have said that a year ago. No way. Agreed. Agreed. Well, and it's just because, I mean, like, I don't think we, re- I think we all thought that Ozzy's ceiling was kind of like a four-war player, which, by the way, is a really good baseball player. Oh, no. <laughs> you know I, what I mean? I thought yeah. Ozzy's ceiling was last year's Ozzy. F- 57 games, uh, about, about two about two war, you know, 112 WRC plus. You know, there was some power there. You know, he had six homers, had a bunch of doubles. Yeah. Like, that felt like... You know, he was basically like th- a fifteen twenty pace, like that. I, I mean, obviously with, with more speed, like you know, something like that, like fifteen thirty kind of guy on stolen bases, and I, he's better than that, which is incredible. I thought it was. Yeah, I, I feel I feel like Acuna has a very good chance to be a better player, but that is more a nod to how good I think Acuna can be, and has nothing to do with whether or not I think Ozzy's going to fall off, because Ozzy's been relatively unlucky at the plate. Has had two slump, like he had that, you know, he had that slump at the beginning of the year, and then he had that slump for a while before he went wild. He's still at three point four WAR at the All Star break. Like that's no, just I mean, how it's, he's it's, outrageous. It's, it's, I, I don't. Again, I'm gonna probably get myself in trouble by saying this. I don't think he's gonna have a two thirty five ISO in real life. <laughs> that seems a little bit high for me. But is that well? A, that's high. That's high for anybody. You know what like, I'm saying? That's, like, that's like, not that's not real. I don't think. But you know, not real at two thirty five is not an insult. Like. If it's two hundred or if it's one, I mean, even last year, last year it was one seventy one. Like that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for guys five that, nine that's prob- with that, speed, that, that's probably still that's probably still thirty home runs. No, you know I mean, what I mean? it's gonna like, be outrageous if he. 
if if he starts getting uh, Ozzy Albies forever. I mean, if he starts like, getting lucky with the bat, or at least like reasonable, because you know part of his bat being so low is that he has so many home runs, which is a crazy thing to say out loud. Well, uh, infield but, flies too. He's kind of gotten him. Yeah, no, I mean he's gotten a little bit happy with the power, but if he does, you know, and that's how you get to a three eighteen uh, OBP, and his walk rate's way down from where it was in the minors. But if you hit like this power wise, no one cares. That's the moral of the story. Pretty, pretty I mean, like he's still learning too. Cause, I mean, like he, that people started pitching him up high. Uh, and well, he's you know, five nine. And he just, up high for him yeah. is like not high. For That's a, well, up five. Uh, up high for him is the strike zone, which is you know something he's gonna have to learn to deal with. But if he learns how to hit those pitches, or if he learns how to at least fight them off, and all, all of a sudden, like all he all this guy does is when he hits the ball, he hits it hard. Yeah, you know no, I, mean? I I just wanted to. I mean, I think I agree with you overall on the uh, Acuna Albies thing, and the fact that it's fifty fifty is not an insult to Ronald Acuna. No, it's uh, more of it's, a, it. I mean, like Ozzy Albies has a legitimate chance. To finish with a six-war season at first at second base, I couldn't tell you if a Braves player has done that in the last fifteen to twenty years. I mean, the last guy would have been Brett Boone, I think, and Brett Boone was on steroids. So, and did he do that? Did he have six-war at? Well, Eric, like, I'm gonna look it up as we talk. All right, but uh, we'll every we'll caveat should exist here because Brett Boone was on steroids, and as was, as was Marcus Giles. Um, no, Brett Boone was yeah, bad. Yeah, I guess I, I forgot about Giles. Brett Boone was bad, actually, in the season because he was bad on defense that year. Let me look at uh, Marcus Giles. This is just riveting audio at the moment. <laughs> uh, I don't Giles know. had a year just... where he was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Mark, Marcus Giles, 6.7 war in 2003. There you go. He was definitely on steroids, by the way. Absolutely, 100%. <laughs> Sorry about that, Marcus. But um, 21 homers, 14 steals. He had a 390 OBP that season. He was basically it. like a. He was basically if he did that, if he did that now he'd be an MVP candidate, and that was Marcus Giles who was like not a prospect. No, outrageous in retrospect. But yeah, anyway, that, that definitely Ozzy's on pace for the best season since then, and that was 15 years ago. So, yeah, he's been very, very, very good. And there's no question about it. He could probably just like he could be league average or worse the rest of the way and still be a four-one player. I mean, just, just because, yeah. of, just, just just because of. Uh, just accumulation. I'm not saying he could be replacement level, but league average at second base, like over a full season, is probably worth like a win. I don't know, man. Yeah, he's very good. He's super, super exciting time to be a Braves fan because there's a lot of young guys that are really fun to watch for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's probably a good place to end on an uphill, on an up, uh, uphill. That's not the right word. Uh, on a high note, that's probably better. There you go. Best way to put it. Uh, thank you, Eric, for joining me. As always, my friend, we always ramble incoherently, and I appreciate about that. Our, about, I appreciate that about our podcast. Uh, we get a lot of a lot of info out there. Hopefully, if people can understand why we say what we say. And, no, uh, not no, this is this, this is for you and me, man. If other people want to listen to it, that's fine by me. But <laughs> we just like to talk baseball, you and I. So exactly, we do it even when people aren't listening. Uh, anyway, please uh, follow Eric on Twitter. Follow all the guys, um, the prospect guys especially, but uh, everybody that writes for Talking Chop. Follow the site at Talking Chop. TalkingChop.com. Follow me at BT Roland. We'll be back again next week with another podcast. Thank you for your patience for not being here last week. We'll not be on a more regular schedule moving forward. And uh, subscribe to the podcast. Do all that fun stuff. We'll see you guys in a few days.